This show was first broadcast on Free FM, Hamilton, New Zealand's community access media organisation. For more information on our lineup of shows and the role we play in the media, visit freefm.org.nz. I'm Sadam to our listeners. Welcome to Saturday News number 876. So today we'll conclude on part two on the topic of role of women in the society by our brother Prem from Prasanti. Let's get into it. I'm going to talk about a little bit of economics. I'm not a student of economics. So my description here is going to be absolutely rudimentary. If there are any economists in the house, please forgive me. But this is just to study because money is all said and done a very important factor of a society. That is why our scriptures emphasize dharma, artha, kama, moksha. Artha is definitely important. You cannot say that I will remove artha from the equation. It will only lead to a lot of confusion. At the same time, overemphasis also is a problem. So a study of the way we have handled money over the past few generations will give us a peep into the way our mindsets are changing or how an attempt has been made to change our mindsets. In the past, all families used to save. All families had money which they would earn. Richer families would save their money. And if you see the old films, you would always have these jamindars who would have those big safes, iron safes, which would be filled with money. And Swami also used to say there used to be a safe room in the old bungalow. Right? In those days, the safe used to be installed and the bungalow would be built around it because the safe was so heavy. There was no way a thief could come and lift the safe and go away. But why did they do that? Because there were no banks. Right? So with the population explosion, the city culture coming in, this idea of having money stashed away at home was becoming a problem. Some interesting entrepreneurs came by and they said, we will open these facilities called banks. You can keep your money with us. Okay, we are going to keep your money safe. We will put a security man. We will build a, a very secure safe. So you pay us a small fees for this money that we are going to keep for you. So that's how the banks came by. So now what happened? All the people in the society, in the community, started putting their money in the bank. Now in the society, always you will have people who take up the role of money lenders, right? And who is a money lender? The person who has more money than he needs becomes a money lender. I have more money, you want money, you take it, you pay me a small interest. Now all that excess money has come to one place, which is called the bank. Now the bank is capable of playing the role of the money lender of the society. So now what the banks did, the banks went back to the customers and said, you don't have to pay us an interest, but just permit us to lend your money. We will make an interest out of it, and we will use that interest to take care of the security of the bank. So it was a very simple deal, and the banks ensured that all the risks involved in money lending will be taken up by the bank. Your money you put, you can take it whenever you want. We will lend it, we will take the interest, and we will also handle the risk. Again, a stable solution. But eventually what happened, why would people le borrow money in our society? Why do we borrow money? Some crisis. Suddenly somebody is unwell, you want to educate your child. These are all crisis situations. When suddenly you need some money, you go to a money lender. 
But this was not enough to run the business of a bank. For the bank to prosper, now the bank has set up a business model by which it prospers more by lending. The more the bank lends, the more money the bank can make. So now what does the bank do? The bank promotes lending, you know, promotes you to come and borrow by all means. Now slowly, there is a small change which comes. The bank tells the people that we will also pay you an interest. We take 8%, we will give you 4%. So interesting, win-win situation. Bank wins, I win, my money is safe, I also make money. That's exactly what's happening to all of us right now, right? It's a safe situation. But now the banks have to make you borrow more. Now how does the bank do that? The bank says, you're living in a one-bedroom house, come take a loan and shift to a three-bedroom house. And it says you're earning so much money, over a period of 20 years you'll have that much money to pay me. Again seems to be an interesting model. This also works. Now you have housed everybody in the society. This is how it panned out in the West. Now you have managed to house everybody comfortably in the society, so people stop borrowing. What do you do now? And they came up with this, this magic device. They said, take a credit card. Why do you have to shop with your money? Shop with the bank's money. Pay us later. They encourage people to spend money which was not theirs. And when I say spend money which, which was not theirs, they are spending money which has not come out of their dharmic karma. They are encashing even a dharmic karma, but that of the future, not of that which has been performed. And then what happened? As the statistics stand today, of course, the most well-studied country is the US, and that's why I'm quoting the US. On an average, every American citizen has 3.5 credit cards. One person has three credit cards or more. 10 crore families have 120 crore credit cards. And what happens? The whole amount of money which is there, the people who own through these credit cards is much larger than the GDP of most countries. The problem was, where was the money from the bank coming? From the savings. But now you are discouraging people from saving. In fact, you are not only telling them not to save, you are making them spend money which is not theirs even. So you have, you've broken the balance in the system where the savings is lent, the money is got back in the form of interest, you also earn, you also encourage people to save, but now the savings is going down, expenditure is going up, the borrowing is going up, and everybody is in debt, including the banks. Maybe a little unrelevant, but, I'm sorry, irrelevant, but what the banks did was, no, if I am lending money to you, I will lend you money only if I am sure you are going to give it back to me, right? I won't give you money if I know that you are not going to give me money. So now that became a constraint for the banks because the number of good people to borrow was reducing. So now what did the bank do? I have given Mr. X money. Now there are two possibilities. Either he pays me or he does not pay me. So when there is a possibility of this or that, now you have a chance for gambling. So now what the banks did, see I have given this fellow this money. He may give me, may not give me. Would you like to bet on it? And that is how derivatives come in. He says, now you bet whether he'll give me or not give me. So what is the bank insured? Whether you pay me or not, I will get my money. 
If four people bet on it, the bank makes the money. So now the bank can be absolutely careless about to whom they lend your money. They can give the money to anybody without worrying about that person is able to return or not. The bank has completely given up its responsibility to society. And this is how the West has progressed. And now it is clearly breaking apart. The interesting thing was, the Indian government wanted to bring this to India. Interesting. What happened? We all know 1991, the liberalization happened. The government, the Indian markets opened up. Because we all remember, I think till the 1990s, if you want to buy a car, you either buy a Maruti, you either buy a Fiat or you buy an Ambassador. Nothing more. You want to buy a soap, you either buy X or Y. Nothing more. But suddenly, after 1990s, we had so much of variety, so many things to choose from. You know how it happened? The finance minister was Manmohan Singh. He called one very distinguished professor, economics professor from the US. His name was, I think, uh, Professor Jagdish Bhagavati. He is Indian only by name because he is completely filled with the Western thinking. Till now it was not found that this is wrong. Nobody felt that this was a wrong model. So he came and they asked him, we want to improve the growth of our country. What do we do? So he studied the economy and he said, if you look at family savings, the money in the banks which belong to the families, it is 19% of the Indian GDP. And they said, that's immense. Your people are not spending. If people don't spend, how will the market progress? People have to spend. So they asked him, what should we do? He said, this 19% has to be brought down. Open malls. Open up your market. Let international brands come in. And suddenly, we switch on the TV. We have all the brands flooding our market. All different songs and jingles being sung. But this is where the resilience of the Indian society came up, which is based on values, which is based on spirituality, which Swami is here to teach us. You know what happened? 1992, 19% of the Indian GDP was the family savings. In 2002, 29% of the national GDP was family savings. Because what were the Indian families doing? They said, if we have to spend more, we will save more. The savings went up because every time the family was saying that we will spend within our limits. We will spend within our earnings. We will not spend beyond it. Because it's not a secret that this is fast breaking in the cities. And this today, not sociologists, economists are attributing to the Indian woman. Why? Because the economists said... Let's attract the Indian women because they are the ones who are going to spend. So the Indian women's market was flooded. But every time, as Swami would say, what is the nature of a woman? She thinks of the others before she thinks of herself. Yes, she wanted to buy, but she ensured that she, ha she could buy only after everybody else had enough. And that was why the family savings went up from 19% to 29%. If I want to have more, I will work harder, I will save more, and then I will buy. And this is the attitude which is trying to be stuffed into our heads from the West. Because they are saying, they are telling our Indian women, they are saying that you have a life, you have to live. You have a family, but you have to think of yourself too. 
but it was the nature of the indian woman to resist this she said i will think of my family first and this is what has saved i mean we don't realize it that humble village woman who stashes away 100 200 rupees every day in the box of salt she has saved the indian economy she doesn't realize it every woman who hides from her family and keeps away some money for the for some eventuality which might come she has saved the indian economy and in turn she is giving an example to the world economy she doesn't know it but this comes from this basic nature of a woman which swami wanted to propagate in the form of be it swami's college or be it all his discourses that is why over and over again swami said i am educating a mother i am educating mothers because when you educate a mother you educate a society every time when whenever swami would do this gram seva you know we all would think why is swami doing gram seva what difference is it going to make for one packet of food going to one person once in a year come on you are you thinking that you're going to alleviate poverty that way giving one saree and one dhoti to a family once a year and in the past 10 years we all have been involved in the gram seva we have seen the way these villages have changed from how from mud houses they all have tata sky connection in their houses villages here so you mean to say they still will value that one saree and one dhoti it was not meant for that alone maybe it was partly meant for that but what swami was doing is he was constantly sending the youngsters into the villages to sensitize them this is the society which is going to be feeding you tomorrow when you go out into the corporate and earn money it is the money which comes from these people are you going to spend lavishly no act of swami was without significance now when, when the indian culture says dharma artha kama and moksha it is very beautifully lined up the way he says first thing is dharma do righteous action and through that righteous action earn money there is nothing wrong in earning money as long as it comes from a righteous means through dharma you earn money that is artha and use that money which has been earned through righteous means to fulfill your desires dharma artha and then kama but now what is this credit system which i described has done first comes kama then now you have you have enjoyed you have spent now you have to make the money okay if there is a righteous means available fine but if the situation does not permit you to take a stable righteous means you have no choice and it is this it is a very very subtle change in the attitude and that is why swami says the proper study of mankind is man study mankind study the pattern that mankind has taken and then you will automatically come to understanding the change in man from the pattern i showed you of the west and the east the economies the way they progressed doesn't it look that the eastern or the asian economies are feminine are women based and the western economies are the male based but this is not an observation which is made philosophically or spiritually a german economist made this statement he said by nature the western economies are masculine they are short sighted they are robust and vigorous but the eastern economies are feminine they are thinking of a long term benefit 
and that is what in environment we have started calling sustainability we are always if you look at the discourse in environment the the saving of the environment we always use here this word sustainable development development has to be in a pace by which the society the ecosystem is able to sustain that growth and it is this sustainable development and this is in the care of the feminine and this is not necessarily gender it's not male female right as swami would say each one of us have attributes of both it is this attitude if today the women have started going out and working it is not because the women wanted to prove themselves it is because we as a society refused to acknowledge the value they were bringing in and that has forced the community to prove themselves they say let me show i can match up to it and at the risk of sounding sexist some of the economists are telling this now if the women will go back to taking care of their family the global economy will be more stable we will do better as a as a world we will do better as a society we will do better even as a society that takes care of its environment this whole concept i'm not going to take, talk much now i'll just take a few more minutes <clears throat> this whole change this whole perspective i i felt when i read two very interesting stories in a district in kerala in palakkad in one particular village they had a it's a very small village barely close to the town of palakkad suddenly a huge soft drink manufacturer came and set up their plant a huge plant this was a village of full of tribals hardly anybody educated in this plant was set up nobody knew what was coming and a few years down the line the people in the village found that all the drinking water source was either vanishing or was being absolutely unusable the water in their wells were turning black and they had no idea why this was happening what was happening to their thing when they explored they they could understand that this change has happened after the factory was set up and you can google up this person an old lady illiterate tribal woman a grandmother her name is mailamma she stood up and she said we have to put an end to this can you imagine and why did she stand up not because she wanted name or fame not because she wanted to be a max sesay award winner or she wanted to win a nobel she said my children and grandchildren are suffering i have to do something to stop it she said my neighbors children are suffering i have to do something to stop it in this illiterate woman she has given much recognition now she is no more she stood up and she challenged this multinational multi billion dollar corporation this soft drink company and she said this will not work you have to shut shop and from 2002 to 2012 for 10 years she led a satyagraha kind of movement in front of that factory and she got it shut down and even today that factory is not able to reopen does it require a a passion to prove yourself to do such a thing it is a mother's heart which was hurt which did this she said i cannot let my children suffer 
the beauty of indian culture is the way we look at our indian women because we don't though we use the word abala the one who is not strong but that is not how we look at our women because for the same women whom we call abala we use the word shakti the one with power because the women has the power when hurt to raise to a level which is unbelievable which is uncharacteristic of the the way that woman has been brought up the education which she has and the resources which is in her control many years ago i read another fascinating story which is very very moving indeed i am i could not lay my hand on that book again i'm not able to get the details but this was about one of the central european countries where there was this mother she had a child who was mentally retarded and this was a country in europe which was not doing very well economically so they did not have a very good the government did not do much to take care of such special children so they had a home for the specially specially challenged children and this home was very very ill equipped it was more like a prison for these children who were not mentally fit to live in a normal society so these children were chained they were being treated like treated like animals and parents who had children like this had no other chance they could not afford to take care of these children and these children could not be put elsewhere some of those families which were well off they could take their children to countries abroad and treat them and keep them in homes which were more friendly but most of the poor women had no other choice they had to put their children in these homes i think this was in hungary or some country like that which is not very well off so this one mother she said how can i put my son in a home like this she did put her son and after seeing the condition for a few weeks she could not take it an illiterate woman a mother of a special child that's all she was she has never gone out and worked she brought her child home and she said she did not think of her child alone she said how many children like this are suffering can we allow this to happen she took it up she fought with the government she brought this to the notice of the international community and she made the government pass a law to change the situation in the country one woman was hurt because of the treatment her son got it is not because of her wanting to prove something it is not because she wanted to say that i am equal to a man it is not because she said i can do anything that you can do she said my child is being hurt and i cannot sit and watch a woman's power stems out of her selflessness and we are be- we are made to believe we are made to believe as a community that selflessness and forbearance is a weakness we've been taught that forbearance is a weakness but all the power that women have today is born out of that pure sense of forbearance and it is to teach this that swami said i'm going to educate not women i'm going to educate not administrators and ceos swami said i'm going to educate the mothers of tomorrow and when i say mothers it is not again just those mothers who are going to take up and who are going to bring up children it's not just those who are going to enter families and raise families motherhood is an attitude isn't it a very general look at the activist community in our country you will see that almost 70 to 80% of them are women wherever it is whether be it environmental activists 
or social activists or people who are raising their voice against communities which are being deprived of their right 70-80% of them are women because it is this selflessness which is what is making them speak up and it is this which has to be protected and as a society what can we take home from all this it is not wrong to spend it is not wrong to lead a good life as long as it is within our limits Swami that is why I said ceiling on desires now you look at it ceiling on desires in doing Swami's 60th or 65th birthday Swami started this program and a lot of families in the US and in the West and Europe they all followed this stringently this ceiling on desires program and at the end of one one and a half years they came to Swami and gave Swami 60 lakh rupees and so many other Samitis in India also did this. They collected money after sealing on desires. In a public discourse, Swami returned this money. He said, you have got me all wrong. The sealing on desires is not meant to save money. It is to save yourself. Sealing on desires is a program for you to put a discipline on your own mind. And that is why, as I said, a culture to be everlasting, a culture to be relevant to today has to serve both purposes. The purpose of individual progress as well as societal benefit. And that is why Sealing on Desires is such a program. Imagine in, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna tells Arjuna, you do your karma and do not expect the result. That is the best way to do your karma. Right? So according to that, you do your work and you don't worry whether your salary comes home or not. Or rather, the salary should not define the quality of your work, right? But today what are we doing? We want to enjoy the results of the actions we are yet to perform. Krishna said, don't expect the results of the actions that you have performed, but we want to enjoy the results of the action we are yet to perform in the future. Economically, we might say, what is wrong after all a credit card? What is wrong after all a home loan? What is wrong? But it is this spiritual perspective which is wrong. It is not that I can afford it. Can I as an aspirant, as a spiritual sadhana on his path afford it? Can this society afford it? And that is why I again reiterate and probably I will conclude with that where Swami says, the proper study of mankind is man. Look at mankind, look at the progress it has made, look at the changes which have occurred. Study that and you will know what is changing inside you. Look at yourself, see what is the change in your attitude. You will know what is going wrong in the world outside. What a beautiful message this is. And that is why everything which Swami has done, said and given to us is so very profound. I know on a Sunday morning I have had you held here, I have not told even one story related to Swami. But I don't think this talk was meant to be that way. Because at times we need to look at Swami. When Swami said, my life is my message, why did we all flock to Puttaparthi? Because we had a living God, right? God is everywhere. But why Puttaparthi? Because we had a living God, the living presence, the pulsating, the vibrant living presence. Swami says, if you are coming for that living presence, that life, that life is my message. That life of Bhagwan is his message. And if we want to adore him, if we want to respect him, if we want to love him, it is by 
looking deeply at this message over and over again till it seeps to the last neuron in our brains, if not to our heart. Thank you all for your very, very patient listening. I offer this talk at Bhagwan's Lotus Feet. For more episodes, use the accessmedia.nz app for iOS and Android devices or subscribe to this podcast via Spotify, iHeartRadio or Apple Podcasts. This free FM podcast was brought to you with support from New Zealand On Air.